Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the big identity management bet on login.gov. And the workplace of the future depends on your agency's CFO. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Changes to the FATARA grading system push grades down across government, according to the new scorecard out today. Eight agencies are down, each by about one full grade. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission went from a C- to a B. Fifteen agencies stayed the same as last scorecard. The major grading change is the removal of the Data Center Optimization Initiative measurement. The Space Force has a nominee to become the next Chief of Space Operations. Lieutenant General B. Chance Saltzman is the Deputy Chief of Space Operations for Operations Cyber and Nuclear now. If the Senate confirms him, he'll replace General J. Raymond. Raymond's been Chief since the Space Force became an independent service in 2019. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Nominations are open now for the 2022 edition of the FedScoop 50. We're looking for nominations for leaders in the federal IT community. You can read more about how to nominate someone through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Senate will take another crack at making it easier for state and local governments to use login.gov for identity management. Login.gov is a product of the General Services Administration. Jeremy Grant's Managing Director of Technology Business Strategy at Venable. He's former Senior Executive Advisor at the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Jeremy, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. My colleague, John Hewitt-Jones, writes the legislations focused on the login.gov identity management platform and would potentially allow state and local governments to adopt existing federally built technology instead of relying on private sector solutions. I imagine there are pros and cons to that idea. What are those as you see them? Welcome. Thanks. Great to be here, Francis. Well, I'll say the legislation itself doesn't mention, you know, login.gov specifically. It talks about, you know, products in general. So I know that the article from your colleague focused on login.gov. I haven't heard that's the only focus of it. Um, but, you know, I, I think there, you know, as he f- flagged in the article, it does raise some, you know, longstanding, um, you know, debates about just what is the role of the government in partnering with the private sector versus competing with the private sector. And, uh, you know, I don't have particularly strong views on that topic, you know, as it you know comes to login. I think the, the bigger question from my perspective is, you know, when it comes to helping uh, federal agencies, states, you know, with digital identity, is this where we should be focusing right now? Is this the the move that you're going to get that's going to get you the best bang for your buck and also the best uh, customer experience, you know, for Americans looking to access services online? I take your point about what we will expect the legislation to say, uh, that it doesn't specifically delineate login.gov. But that kind of gets to the point that you and I have talked about, about identity over the years. If there's more than one, to quote John's piece, existing federally built technology regarding identity management, the logic that I derive is that maybe we're doing it wrong. And is there some way that I went off the rails on logically? No, I mean, look, I've, I've got, you know, and this is just me speaking. I mean, sure. I, I do work for clients in the space. I run an organization called the Better Identity Coalition, which has been focused on some of the broader identity policy issues. You know, from my perspective, you know, the, the big challenge that we're trying to address right now in identity in both government services as well as the private sector 
is, you know, getting to the issue of figuring out who's the proverbial dog on the Internet. You know, that cartoon I often point out is now 29 years old. July 3rd was his 29th birthday, which wow. means those dogs are uh, sadly uh, blessed memory. And um, their children probably are, too, because of dog years. But the problem's still with us more than ever. And in fact, you know, we saw this in both public and private sector with identity fraud, identity related cybercrime exploding because of how easy it is with, you know, current what I would call digital identity infrastructure or lack of for criminals to, you know, slice through the controls we have in place and, and you know, pretend to be somebody and then steal data or money. And so I think there is, you know, look, from the Better Identity Coalition side, we've been, you know, pushing government to look at this holistically um, in terms of how can you address this issue without having to create a lot of new infrastructure, without having to create new systems that are going to raise privacy and security concerns, and instead focus on closing the gap between the nationally recognized authoritative systems that we already have today for identity, be it the driver's license, birth certificates, social security numbers, passports, they're all stuck in the physical world and our inability to use those online. And there's an element, you know, we, we actually had sent a letter to the White House a couple months ago around the identity theft executive order uh, that they're working on. We partnered with the ID Theft Resource Center, which is a group that helps consumers who are victims and groups like Chamber of Commerce and the Electronic Transactions Association. One of the points we made, I don't have the letter in front of me, but was to say, you know, when it comes to addressing these issues for public-facing services in government, citizen-facing services, as we often call them, we shouldn't be focusing on building new systems that basically force people to replicate the process they already went through with the DMV to get their driver's license. I mean, I don't know about you, I don't like going through the DMV. Every few years I have to renew my passport. I don't want to have to show up at the post office. It's a pain in the butt, but there's a lot of value to in-person identity proofing. And so, you know, what we're, you know, been urging the administration to do and also, you know, talking to the Hill has been to focus efforts on how do you come up with, you know, the standards, the, the the technology, the pipes, essentially, to allow somebody to reuse that process that they went through in the physical world in the digital world, rather than have to go through a new process, you know, be it through login or some other application to prove who they are. Shout out to Peter Steiner, the cartoonist in The New Yorker, July 5th, 1993. You're exactly right. And, and leave it to you to know that the identity management cartoon of all time uh, observed its anniversary just a couple of weeks ago. What, what does this mean for policymakers across the executive branch, though, Jeremy? Because it's login has kind of become the de facto choice across the federal government. That's probably good. What's are there potential cons for state and local governments, the DMV in various states and so on, picking up the same thing to try to get out of that rut that you just described, that you've got to reprove yourself every time you go any other place to any other government entity? Well, I think it's important when talking about login to talking about what login does and what it doesn't do, because it is not a comprehensive identity platform. They've aspired to be, but what it really is now to date, I think, you know, about eight years since login was launched, they have built what I would call an account management system. So how can I have a single email, you know, jgrant at foo.com that I can use with a password and a second factor? They've been really good at multi-factor authentication, implementing the FIDO standards. How can I have a single account that I can use to sign in at the SSA, the IRS, at the VA, at Department of Ed? But that's really just a account management system. It's issuing people a username and password with a second authenticator. The authentication side is kind of the easy side of the equation. Um, and what they have yet to figure out at scale is how to actually do the identity proofing side that, you know, how do you know you're a dog on the internet or not a dog that first time you show up 
how can they build a solution that actually meets NIST's identity assurance level two, which is you know the standard you need to be at for these transactions. And there, it's been a real struggle. Um, and I don't mean to just single out GSA for this. This is hard for everybody to tackle, but it's not something that you can really solve just as a technology problem. So much of it gets back to where are the authoritative sources of identity in this country? And how can you potentially tap into them in a way that I was talking about before? Uh, so rather than say the issue, you know, asked a bunch of knowledge-based questions about my, you know, car loan I took out three years ago or the street I lived on in 2006, how could I just do something like invoke a mobile driver's license app that's tied, uh, you know, cryptographically to my physical ID and, you know, in, you know, 10 seconds say, yeah, I'd like to share this, you know, information uh, with an agency so that they know who I am and it's tied to the authoritative source. That's not really where login has been focused much to date. I know they're trying to figure this out now, how to get to IAL2. But, you know, the bottom line is any agency that's buying login today that thinks it's solving all of their identity proofing problems in IAL2, they're not there yet. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, been a very hard thing, uh, uh, you know, for agencies to get to, which is one reason they've been leveraging private sector vendors in the space who actually have compliance solutions that they've built uh, to fill this, what I would call a gap in the market that the government has created and, and never really filled. Is the, is the solution for GSA to incorporate those private sector uh, elements into login.gov, or do you think the solution is for agencies to continue to use this hybrid model where they're buying some stuff off the shelf and they're using login for some of the things they need? Yeah, I mean, GSA to date and their you know pilots where they have rolled out an IAL2 solution for identity proofing, they've been working with you know some industry you know companies you know who have a, a solution that they can plug in. And that's about as, you know, as far as they've gone. My whole point is, uh, and as somebody who um, thinks most of the innovation and in identity is, you know, driven by the private sector and you should be looking there, just relying on private sector firms means you're also overlooking the role the government plays. And so we really need to have some sort of a way to tie back into those authoritative sources. Otherwise, you're just using solutions that are trying to guess what only the government knows. I mean, not the government is right all the time, I think the Social Security Administration declares a few thousand people mistakenly dead every year, um, which, you know, if you look at the hundreds of millions of identities they're managing is pretty good, you know, percentage wise. But, you know, it's kind of awful if you're one of the few thousand who, you know, has been told you're dead and you're stuck suddenly in a Monty Python skit. But it's, it's real life. Jeremy Grant, you bring the greatest references possible to the Daily Scoop podcast. It's great to, to talk to you, my you, friend. Francis, you, every time. you always do every time. It's great to see you, my friend. Great talking. Thanks. You can read more about login.gov and the legislation Jeremy talked about in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology, Ann Newberger, and the Director of DISA, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are just two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's happening September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup of stars and register through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. Agency chief financial officers will be one of the stakeholders in writing new real estate strategic plans. The director of the Office of Management and Budget, Shalanda Young, writes CFO should work with other top agency leaders on the plans. Dave Mader is civilian sector strategy officer at Deloitte. He's former controller at the Office of Management and Budget and former chief financial officer at the Internal Revenue Service. Dave, you really have a unique perspective on this, having been on both sides of this from a financial management perspective and also 
though, from being on this uh, issue from a real estate perspective earlier in your career. What do you see when you read through this memo from Director Young about what agencies should be doing now and how they should be moving out on the workplace of the future? Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Francis, and it's good to uh, to good to be back and talk about this this topic. And as you mentioned, I I've, I've been working in this space. You know, both at the IRS and, and candidly, actually began my federal career at GSA and Public Building Service. So I have, you know, a, a unique perspective. And then the work that I was doing in the Obama administration uh, as controller, we were also working on this on this particular issue. And you know, I tell people, you know, over the last couple of years, people have been talking about, you know, the future of work. And when you define the future of work, it's the work, it's the workforce, and the workplace. And, you know, when I look at what we have experienced over the last two and a half years because of COVID, I think that future work is here and now. And the OMB M2214 actually now steps out and tells the CFO Act agencies and the CFOs to start working across their organization with GSA and determining what their future real property needs are going forward. And what that memo says to me is that there's a recognition that mission is first, customers are first, and employees are first. So it's not just taking a, you know, a meat cleaver and just carving off, you know, a chunk of space. It's going through a thoughtful process of looking at your customers, your employees, and your mission and determining what do you need going forward. And GSA, you know, and especially from my IRS experience, we relied on GSA 100% for, you know, a very significant real estate portfolio. So GSA now is in a critical position of coordinating across all of those CFO Act agencies. Because if you think about, let's take the national capital region, what GSA is going to have to do is now coordinate what the Department of Commerce does, what the Department of Justice does, what, you know, the Treasury Department does. So for them, they're going to be sort of the center of orchestrating this restructuring, however it takes place. Then you have, you know, then you have all of the regions to deal with. Government's really good at tactical issues, Dave. And I think the challenge here is this is not a tactical issue. This is almost a philosophical or existential question because you talked about defining the future of work and uh, and suggested the future of work is here now. An HR professional I talked to recently said a future of work is here now. We have a dramatically different scenario today than we had in February of 2020. But a different future of work could be what agencies are having to deal with two years from now or five years from now in an environment where GSA generally signs 10-year leases. And so I wonder what the role of the chief financial officer in an agency is to help war game what what flexibilities at least should we give ourselves since we don't really know what the future of work will be at some end point in the future? Yeah. When, when I, when I think about the journey that now OMB has basically sort of launched with this, with this new memorandum, this is, this is not going to be over and done in a year or two years or three years. I mean, I, I think this is a eight to 10 year journey for the federal government in rethinking how their physical footprint should look going forward for you know the next 10 to 15 years and when when i think about the scale of of what is being undertaken francis you you need and this is where the cfo comes into play 
you need to have somebody who's actually stepped back from the missions, step back from the facilities, and sort of be that impartial broker that actually can bring the strategy, the mission, the HR needs of the people and customers all together and play sort of that role. And then GSA is going to be playing that role across government. There's a message that I think is implicit but not expressed in this memo that I think is is very heartening too. And that is that Director Young and the administration regard and expect each of the four, what I consider to be the four major stakeholders in an agency, acquisition, financial management, IT, and personnel, to be very, very, very important mission partners to the deputy secretary and the secretary or equivalents across the CFO Act agencies. That's not something that's been the case the entire time that I've been paying attention to this stuff, Dave. No, I mean, I think, you know, just because all of those activities that you mentioned are so busy, you do, you know, and having sat in those activities, you do wind up getting, you know, siloed. But in order to affect the kind of future of work change that we're all anticipating, it's really important. I mean, that the human capital officer is going to have the workforce view, right? The IT person is going to have the technology view. The acquisition person is going to be executing on implementation plans. And, you know, when we think about the work, how it's changed over the last couple of years and been accelerated, I think, uh, more digitization because of remote work and COVID, the workforce working remotely in the workplace now, I think IT is actually one of the underlying, you know, infrastructure elements that needs to flow through all of those. When you think about how am I going to work, you know, going forward, I'm going to work remotely, I'm going to work from home, what mobile devices do I need? And the workplace, when GSA starts reconfiguring office space, against this new set of criteria, you know, what, what's the IT infrastructure that needs to be in place? At the agency level, what should the CFO be preparing to deliver in this collaboration, in this, this real estate undertaking? And what should that person expect from the CIO, the acquisition lead, the Chico to be able to deliver on? I mean, if I, if I were sitting, you know, as the CFO of, of, of the one of the 24 agencies, I'd be working right now because when I look at a December 16, 2022 deadline to get the capital plan in there, that's a massive amount of work that has to be done in a relatively short period of time. Well, you're actually, you know, working at the same time on the rest of the president's budget for FY24. So I think that you know, the one, the governance and the coordination among those key functions that you mentioned is going to be critical. And I also think candidly that, you know, what comes out in December of, you know, of 2022 is is sort of the, the baseline. And it's going to, to your earlier point, Francis, it's going to, it's going to be refined over time. Because again, going back to that ge- geography that I mentioned, not only in Washington, D.C., but Atlanta and Chicago, where you have huge physical presence of agencies, GSA is going to be sort of brokering. You know, if I if I don't need as much space, can Francis move into two vacant floors that I have? So that's why I think it's a an eight to 10 year effort to get all of this done. And it's also going to require the Congress in a bicameral, bipartisan way to recognize that this is a massive undertaking 
and they need to be supportive. And from an OMB level, even if these plans that come in December are a first cut or kind of a preliminary, what are what would you look at as the controller to determine, yeah, this this agency did a pretty good job. They're, they've laid a pretty good foundation for how they're going to move forward. I, I would be looking for their, um, their strategy and how they take their mission and how they take their people and then convert that into what is the workplace need, right? Because, you know, it's the people, it's the mission, you know, and when I say mission, it's their customers too. What do they need? There are, you know, citizens still need to walk into a social security office. Citizens still need to go to an IRS office. So it's not like you can just walk away from all of your physical space. What I'd be looking for is, you know, what is that strategy and how does that articulate the future needs of a particular agency or, or subcomponent. Dave Mader, always learn something from you. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Francis. You can read more about the real estate strategy memo from OMB in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns Monday. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.